What's up, everybody? Matt Aguilar here, and welcome to Comic Book Nation's The Pull List, where we talk about all things comics all the time. Uh, I've got an amazing group of uh, comic experts with me today, of course, uh, the amazing Kofi Outlaw. Ready to pull from this list. <laughs> and welcome me back to the show, Jamie Lovett. I don't really know how to follow that introduction. Um, <laughs> I am also Fair ready enough. to pull things from a list. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of uh, lists that are pulled, you should also check out Jamie's wonderful weekly column, uh, The Weekly Pull on comicbook.com, where he gets a, a number of recommendations and everything uh, for the week moving forward from our uh, comic book crew. So definitely check that out every single week, as well as the pull list. We're just one big, happy comics family here. Uh, we got a lot of, I feel like I say this every week, but it's extremely true. We have a lot of uh, comics to get through, and not everything made this list. Uh, just because the sheer amount of things that are out there. But we've got a unique mix of everything this week, and we're going to start with The Amazing Spider-Man number 44, uh, which is the conclusion to Gang War. It's a, it's a series, I think it's actually the first uh, Spider-Man series kind of in the current uh, run that we've really been following here. Um, it does ironically come back-to-back -back off of the second issue of Ultimate Spider-Man last week. So I know our our bar's a little, our bar's a little high because uh, we were all pretty jazzed about that. But uh, I thought this, I thought this wrapped up uh, the story in a, in a satisfying, if not unsurprising way. Um, you know, there were some teases of like, like, it, you know, kind of like it won't end the way you expect. And then it was like, yeah, okay, kind of ended the way I expect. That's not bad. I enjoyed it. And I, you know, I really like, uh, where the kind of the reinforcements came from in this book. Again, we're going to get into light spoilers, but I won't spoil everything outright for you. But some of the twists that set up things moving forward weren't like jaw dropping to me, but they're satisfying. And I'm excited to see those stories moved further. Um, but, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, you know, joining the show here, we didn't actually get your a chance to hear you weigh in on uh, Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, so, you know, how do you think kind of this compares in a back-to-back -back week? And what did you think of Game War overall? Um, I mean, I feel like they're two very different books. Ultimate Spider-Man is very actually focused on Peter and Spider-Man. This felt like more, it's not really a Spider-Man story. Like Spider-Man doesn't really change in any way here. This is really more of a tombstone story. It's about his character and his arc and his daughter. Um, so it feels like apples and oranges a little bit. I, I definitely prefer Ultimate Spider-Man. I think it's a little, as much as I've enjoyed the Zeb Wells run of amazing you know that jonathan hickman what he's doing on ultimate spider-man feels so different from anything we've seen in spider-man for a long time uh whereas this feels like you know i know they build it as an event but it could have just kind of been the next arc of whatever spider-man was doing at the time you know now i'm curious did you read the any of the tie-in series that went with it or did you just stick to the main through line i've just been reading the amazing spider-man stuff OK, uh, none of the other um, gang war titles had hooks that really drew me into them. Gotcha. Um, uh, for me, I will say uh, that I ended up reading. I didn't read all of them, but I read probably about half of those kind of tie in books. Uh, and I thought in a lot of cases they did a. They did a really good job of kind of investing me more into the conflict you're seeing different you know boroughs right you're seeing different neighborhoods and stuff being uh 
defended and you're getting more of an idea of like who runs that area and how the hero plays into it. So then seeing everybody come back in this one was fun. It was like, oh, okay, we got the whole group is against the whole group, Um, you know, and maybe it is a little first take of me to throw Ultimate Spider-Man in there because it didn't really mean any shade. It's just kind of hard when like one week to the next you have two Spider-Man books and they're just number one, they are very different. But number two, it's it's just kind of hard not to compare. But that's that's probably on me. Kofi, uh, what did you think of this? Am I completely off base in even bringing up one to compare to the other? Is that bad? Um, No, I mean, we've been talking about. About, you know spider-man having this big revival everywhere it seems but on the comic page where it's been very hard for us to kind of connect with him and you know me i think there's two different types of camps these days i i've been not I, i'm not the one of the people who's into the kind of whole mystical spider-verse totems you know all of that stuff really missed me what i thought was fun about gang war in the beginning was going back to kind of like the 1970s spider-man who was very much a street hero handling street problems and even though they were like they're now like a cheesy dick tracy gallery having all these different gangsters like a silver main tombstone hammerhead it was it was funny how quick those names came back to me when i started reading this and was like oh yeah these are fun characters so I in Spider-Man, there was sometimes there it always is a large ensemble of characters that it kind of has it goes in and out of. Sometimes we're following Peter through these very focused stories, and sometimes, you know, we're following Robbie and Jonah and the gangsters and you know Ned Leeds and Betty Brant and how that all goes with the Green Goblin, Hobgoblin mysteries. You need all these cast of characters. So I didn't mind that. Um, I liked the beginning. This was very much a gangster story. There was some really dark stuff with the Madam Mask dragging people into basements and whatnot and beating them up. Uh, we finish in just a typical comic book fight. And there's really nothing to this book in all due respect to it, except like the art of John Romita Jr. doing just a huge comic booky battle scene slugfest and just having fun with it. And I, and I had fun with it in that, just watching the artwork, seeing all the different characters jumping in and scrapping spider boy coming in and spider boy. Yeah. And trying to talk to jackpot <laughs> and, and all this and seeing count nefaria and like silver, like these are people I haven't cared about in very long and just seeing this, it was fun, but there was no way this was ever going to wrap up except for a gang war in an actual fight and in the end, the person who was the real protagonist, as Jamie points out, Tombstone is the person who kind of like that the arc really ends for of Tombstone coming back from this like reluctant. I don't want to be a gangster anymore to being like, all right, I got to be the gangster and and doing that whole thing. And it's interesting and it sets up an interesting dynamic for the underworld and Tombstone and Spider-Man. And I'm with you. I read some of the tie-ins. I read Luke Cage, and I think I read Daredevil, the Electra stuff. And I liked all those. Like I liked those tie-ins. Those were were good when you got to the focused heroes and, and their kind of individual missions. And so this will be a good graphic novel or big trade if if people want to read it and you get to read all the tie-ins because there are all yeah. these characters in the pieces and seeing them come together like this, you you kind of do need all the pieces to see where they've all been and the parts of New York they physically fought over and why and everybody's motivation and coming into this. Because, I mean, there's very little of Tombstone's daughter in this, right? Like, and, and right. Yeah. And so who was the other kind of central character in this. So, yeah, I mean, this is just a big fun slugfest. It's got some great John Romita art just 
doing what he does with big blocky characters blocking each other in the face and i i enjoyed it for that but i didn't i didn't get any major yeah there's no major depth at it tombstone's a badass by the end of this and it's like cool he's a cool gangster character i was actually I very say, about, oh, uh, go ahead jamie Chuck, sorry i was just could you follow what shotgun's deal was no because he like he said he was embedded there and like the big twist is he was there to deal with beetle and not tombstone but beetle didn't become like a crime lord until this event after he was already there so i'm very confused about what that timeline actually looks like it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me yeah shotgun was confusing i also although i have to say this is the best sell of a spinoff because this retroactive oh my god are you gonna i was gonna bring them up are you gonna bring yeah Yeah, i need to go back now and read the shang chi and iron fist like that whole thing and being like what happened there because yeah danny is pretty pissed by the end of this he's like we're fighting tanks bro and he's like nobody nobody notices shield where did you go i got tired of fighting tanks yeah, I love that she's like, I got bored. <laughs> I should go yeah. find something else. Yeah, so there's like I, I there's thought a lot that was of good great. comedy in this issue and like there's some funny things. And it is a pretty good sell to make you be like, Yeah, what did happen with all this and like some of these other stories I want to go see? Like I definitely want to see that arc to tie in arc now. So I, I mean, yeah. good sell on that part. Yeah, we've had a couple uh, you know, people in the comments like really looking forward to the trade. And I think ultimately this will be a really fun and more rewarding read in trade unless you picked up all those because i do think you speak of luke cage luke cage is a big one so that when he comes in like you that impact is felt more if you if you've read and you're like oh he's he's making his way here spider woman's been dealing with hydra over in that series uh and that's why like the meeting between like her and like like there's other stuff here that makes this a more fulfilling finale for me um and also some of the beetle stuff has been dealt with in in some of the other books but really i read that and went okay i need if you'll give me this iron fist shang chi like team i i'm in all day because he's just like no one even saw us like the, that whole dialogue had me rolling that was great um so that's part of the fun of these spider-man events because spider-man has a fun supporting cast of heroes and villains that don't get used a lot uh, just because he's got he's blessed with a very iconic rogues gallery of heavyweights. So some of these other characters don't get used as much. So that's been part of what I've enjoyed most about Gang Wars that we got to see some of these people, including Tombstone, uh, really get some shine. All right. Well, let's move into a much different book, uh, The Penguin, number seven. Uh, We've been uh, following this along and every single time I go, okay, you know what? I don't need to give the spotlight to The Penguin again because like there's other books like it's not because I don't like it, but it's like there's other books I I should probably give a spotlight to. Then The Penguin goes and like does an issue where I'm like glued from beginning to end. I'm like, God dang it. (laughs) I cannot talk about I cannot talk about this book. And this book essentially, you know, I, I won't get into spoilers of like how and what exactly leads to that, but really shows kind of why Oswald adopts the penguin name and gives its take on where that comes from, the meaning behind it, um, what it was, you know, supposed to be, and how that, you know, ends up kind of spinning out of control and, and how maybe that relationship with him and Batman is maybe even still there in a way like it, it's it puts a lot of questions out in the atmosphere uh and i 
I mean, I've been a huge fan of this series and what it's been doing for the character. Uh, and this was, again, it was another one where like, you know, I was already glued just because it's a, I'm, I enjoy following Oswald's, you know, uh, kind of unexpectedly brutal, <laughs> um, but also interesting kind of just movement through being a crime boss. But then this goes and just puts a different angle on the Batman dynamic. And I, I just really enjoyed this. Um, you know, Kofi, I know we've been following this for a minute. Um, what did you uh, think of this issue and how it kind of pushes that forward or does it for you? Um, I, I mean, I find this, I actually find this series more and more like really captivating and intriguing the more I read it every issue feels very different. Like each chapter feels like a self-contained story in and of itself and very different. Even though this is an important man, part two, it's very different than part one. And like, I, I like that what Tom King is doing is really reinventing our folk, like our understanding of penguin and what penguin does and how penguins mind works. But at the same time, kind of really showcasing the psychosis of penguin. And like, there's a lot of dramatic irony in just watching this man do things that, you know, even we get in this, that Batman is saying, like, I know this man is like a sociopath and he's playing me, but I'm letting you, you don't ever know who's playing who quite, who's got the upper hand on who, who has the higher perspective on things and the greater knowledge of like what's going on. And this issue does some very, very funny things with that. Like you said, the whole Batman penguin dynamic and like what it is and how it functions and and just blurring those lines into this complex relationship and penguin quietly making penguin like one of the most complex villains that batman has to face um and why he's stuck around for so long and how he's done all these things and maintain when he's seemingly this little funny looking man and it's just a crime world that you want to talk about differences between like gang war which is a very comic booky kind of crime story and this is which is like a very serious noir crime story that i'd be like you know if i'm colin farrell i'm like dipping into this like looking and being like uh -huh, <laughs> yeah. uh -huh, and like taking a few cliff notes about like what makes this guy intriguing is every scene like this is it's just doing the trick of making me more interested in oswald cobblepot the penguin than i ever had a right to be for basically every scene like him just in a bathtub talking to his ex-wife or his wife at the time i forget what time period we're in and just going over, like, you know, the moment of doubt he's having, like, what is it about me? And she's like, oh, like, <laughs> you know, I never got this question. And just having that conversation, which could be exposition somewhere else, is is very intriguing. And then you get, like, a good kind of perspective answer out of it, which is just, you know, the penguin is just his appetites. He's just always after that next thing he's hungering for and doesn't care about it. And just how we get characters coming back in, like how he met the help and how this story is kind yeah. of coming back on itself. And you get more of that after that fantastic issue we love where he just goes back to re-recruit the help and then like all of that. And then what you get at the end of this issue, which then again, throws open a lot of intrigue about, okay, now I need to know like more and I need to see more of this issue. And in all of this layering we're doing down we're still at the top layer where Batman and the Penguin and present day action are in this really crazy situation together where it doesn't look very good. And what are we going to think by the time we get back there? And like, what's our perspective now going to be? And so, yeah, this is this continues to be more interesting than it has any right to be. Uh, and that's how that's what I just always angrily just say every time I have a great time, like reading one of these issues. <laughs> and I'm like, man. It's better than book makes him so angry it makes, <laughs> makes him so angry uh 
Jamie, I can't. I think the last time you were on, we actually talked to Penguin too. It's becoming. I think it's becoming a tradition. I cannot remember. Was that was that the case? Did we? Did I also stick Penguin <laughs> on you? When I think, I think you may have, because I, I didn't read this issue because I basically forgot this series existed. I feel like the only time I ever remember it exists is when you guys talk about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's about right. I mean, just remind me who the artist on this book is, because I'm just looking at these pages. and These are some really gorgeous, like, re- really nice pages with a lot of really cool, like, sh- shadows and, and really gets that noir effect that I'm guessing Steven they were going Subic? for. Steven Subic? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah Steven Subic. Stephon yeah, Subic. It's got a really nice look to it. I assume they were going for, like, a very dark noir look, especially in the aftermath of the penguin being in the Batman with how like dark and gritty that was. Um, but yeah, it's a really gorgeous. I'm going to have to go back and get caught up on it now um, because you guys are, you guys are selling it very well. And those pages <laughs> are, are really gorgeous. Uh, yeah. And Marcelo uh, Mayolo, um, who I, I'm actually a big fan uh, of his work on some other uh, books I read that that they make quite the team. I got to say, that is one thing that I probably haven't highlighted enough is how visually uh, Im- impressive this book is. It just nails like there's it's funny, like even on the on the page, uh, which I, I can't say what happens on this page uh, that I'm looking at, but there's a page really early on uh, that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the issue. And like that page just had me kind of had me doing a double take of like wait is that like is that what i think it is and like i was like oh like he's you know that person's not alive <laughs> like it was like it had me questioning but the art style just goes so perfectly um if like on the the subject matter it does such a good job of of maximizing uh those things so yeah i'm i'm incredibly excited i'm glad we're doing our our job uh of selling this book uh, i'm going to move into something else uh real quick um the Radiant Black, if you've been paying attention to the Massiverse, uh, which is uh, a now has grown to be like uh, an army of, of incredible books that are kind of telling different stories all throughout this universe. Uh, but Radiant Black started it all. Uh, and right now the Catalyst War is happening and it's doing something really unique. So there was a fan vote. There was a vote about which... Um, protagonists uh because this book really follows kind of two friends uh should be the radiant black moving forward there only one could it ended up being where things happen where both uh people were sharing this power but only one can actually share it and now there's this you know grand invasion and there's this um like these amount of trials that whoever ends up holding this power has to go through. And so right now the book is actually, there's two different issues that come out every week. Uh, So like this week it's 28 and 28.5 and 28 follows Marshall and 28.5 follows Nathan. And they're kind of their differing perspectives, but it, it kind of started out that way, but now it's like, they're actually essentially almost on like completely different timelines, like different People are dead in in one person's journey that aren't in another. Uh, certain events play out the same way, but then the person that is in the middle of it affects them. And so we're not really sure right now how all of this is going to kind of tie together, but it has kind of been said that it will. So it's not just like, uh, you know, choose your own adventure type thing of like, oh, I'll just follow this person's story. All of them are going to be important 
at some point and tie together. But right now, it's kind of like if you if you are behind one hero in particular, which I tend to be Nathan, I'm kind of, you know, not team Nathan, they're not adversaries, but I kind of am. And so 28.5, just like, man, that was, it was an amazing issue. Uh, it it kind of left me uh, punched in the gut, but in kind of all the right ways that that story is just doing something special. But then over in Marshall's story, you're still getting a lot of important context and seeing how he reacts to things. And so it's, it's really interesting what they're doing. The stories themselves and the world they've built is incredibly impressive on its own, but this is just so unique in how it's spinning out this really kind of grand saga. Uh, and and I, I'm really enjoying it. And I think um, for people who want to dive into the Massive Verse books, you know, you're going to have to go back a couple issues uh, to kind of find a, a solid jumping on point. Uh, but I think it's worth it. Uh, and and right now they're doing something really cool. So uh, is anyone else reading the Massive Verse books over over yonder in the in the studio right now? Or no, am I the only one right now? I haven't. I started reading Radiant Black and then like I got busy and missed a couple issues. And by the time I came back, it felt like there were four spinoffs and I needed a reading <laughs> order to get caught up. So now it's on the like long list of like comic book homework. I'm going to definitely get around to eventually, but have not like really cracked in back into yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say my, I felt like, cause you started it up and early on, you got me to start like reading it and I started it and I remember getting into the lore and then I, kind of fell off by the time I looked again, I was like, Oh man, how did this one piece on me all so quickly? I was like, I feel like we are everywhere. I just tried to jump back into these two and I was like, it was pretty daunting. So I need to go back and like, I really do need to like read the bulk of it because they have built out like an entire universe here. So it's kind of deep in lore. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's impressive. Definitely worth it. Um, and all the, you know, now most of it's cataloged in trade, right? Even, even if you just follow the main series, even if you just follow Radiant Black, that is, it's been such a rewarding experience to this point. And then if you want to get into some of the other ones, you absolutely can, because they do all cross over and they are in the same world. Uh, Rogue Sun, Dead Lucky, No One, um, you know, Inferno Girl Red is, is coming, right? Or has actually already hit on Kickstarter and like the next chapter is coming. So like there's, they're continually building out this world, but, uh, but it's, it's just the core series itself. Uh, easy recommend. Let's move into some uh, rapid fires because there was a lot of things to get to. I read the uh, Women of Marvel number one kind of special one shot. I will say it makes the uh, best first impression for me. Did anyone else read this book, by the way? I did. I went and read it when you mentioned that you were going to talk okay. about it. So I gave it a shot. So I, let me know if you agree with me. I think the first story was, I think, my favorite of the entire issue. But it's and it's because of how of how uh, like self-referential and breaking the fourth wall it was i think it just you know it had fun with the concept of this thing we've seen in comics time and time again right some someone who has this kind of uh impressive power thinks like oh let me just go affect the world and change it in my image and and they just point out like the stupidity in that and also the short-sightedness in that and and it's essentially like someone picking out you know different all these uh you know, women uh, through time. And it's all these iconic characters, you know, from Marvel history, uh, you know, Invisible Woman, Aunt May, and that kind of thing. And then, like, 
all the conversations that happen throughout and then there's kind of this this big battle but like i just thought how it it made me genuinely made me laugh multiple times and i just i love books that kind of will do that and stories that you know are speaking to the audience as much as they are directly as much as they are kind of telling a story i thought it was really fun i thought it was a a great opener and i thought it was my favorite issue of the one shot did you what did you think of that one and, and did something else kind of take you I mean, uh, two things about two of the stories stood out to me. The first is the first one you're talking about. It's written by Gail Simone, and it is a yeah. very Gail Simone story, <laughs> uh, which I enjoyed. Like it rang, it rang true in this version. There's a there's a reason she wrote Deadpool for a while. Like she's right. good at this, like meta commentary. I mean, she was she was a critic before she was a uh, a writer, and it shows. Uh, I, I legitimately laughed at like the the it's not a what if gag. Uh, and, <laughs> laugh that's not the, even around yet i love that line that's so right good. the uh the x-men creeping on gene gray thing because if you ever go back and look at those silver age x-men <laughs> books they absolutely are creeping on gene gray and it's real yes. weird um so yeah that i thought that was a lot of fun uh yeah uh, i mean i want to call it i mean it, it was a nice funny little you know story that's that almost sounds demeaning yeah. but like it i feel like that's what it wanted to be like it right. wasn't trying to be anything grand. Uh, I, I kind of hope the, what was his name? The mitigator. Yeah. The mitigator. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope they come back. Cause I feel like they, they can be a fun recurring character. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Uh, the other story that stood out to me, which was the, uh, was the last one. And that one mostly stood out to me because it feels like that one got greenlit before the receipts for Madam Webb came in. Uh, yeah. because like why else, why, why else would you use Madam Web to apparently set up whatever the next phase of all these characters are, assuming that's what it is. Um, right. Given that, given that the front of the book says that like, Oh, Rogan and, and Kate pride are going to be leading X-Men teams later this year. I feel like those are probably glimpses at what that's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, plus there was like jackpot and uh black cat who have a series coming up here in like a couple weeks, I think. Uh, so I feel like those are like actual glimpses at things that are coming up. Um, but yeah, just that, that one felt more like a advertisement for future comics than an actual story yeah. in itself. And very weird that they use Madam Web to uh, set that up. <laughs> I, I will say number one, uh, and Kofi mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of like the, the other, the Ezekiel, the, the spider totem side of the spider verse, uh, Madam Web did me no favors because <laughs> I will like, ah, crap, like, we, why do we have to do it that way? Uh, so now it is you see the, how silly it is. Now you <laughs> know it's not, it's it's great. Dang it. I will, bird box make you stare at it. Just can't look at how silly it is. <laughs> um, also, if you want a good Madam Web has actually been been being used in the spider woman series quite well uh she's kind of a main supporting character in that in helping jessica like actually like they've been playing off the stuff that's actually happened in the spider-verse books um with and and for jessica it means like you know lo losing someone very close to her and her son so like they've been tying all that in and so she actually has a purpose in that series and been using well so if you do want to find more madam web stuff you should actually go read that uh but yeah i agree with you this felt like kind of a tie in there um kofi i know you jumped into some of the uh x books uh resurrection of magneto and, and yeah. dead x-men had new things this week what'd you think um yeah first of all it's crazy to think that 
Marvel has Destiny and Madam Web, and one of those characters is significantly better than the other. Um, <laughs> so Dead X-Men um, continues to be interesting. I didn't love the artwork of this book. It had multiple artists on it. It was kind of all over the place in styles. But I do like that they're kind of, this book is cleaning up this whole House and Powers of Ten storyline about Moira and the lives that she lived. It's getting a little too heady for me because now we, we've gotten to the part in the sandwich where X-Men is now talking about affecting timelines that were past life timelines that don't technically exist anymore. But if we change them, we can somehow mess up everything. So we're getting real heady with the timey-wimey of this. It's beginning to eat itself because, yeah, we're already talking about canceled timelines because the whole Moira life thing was always this tricky little thing to explain okay so what did those lives mean what happened to everything in them and like where do those things go um is a big weird thing and now we're hopping through it and trying not to mess up those because now we're it just feels like the whole krakoa thing is just going up in the air and it's all gonna get erased by the end of this but um it's an the most interesting about this book is the collection of characters that they have and like this book doesn't shy away from the fact that the most interesting thing is the interactions and conversations between these characters it's this random group of X-Men thrown together that you probably nobody would be picking for their for their draft list. But like it's interesting. Dazzler, Jubilee, uh, Prodigy, you know, Frenzy, like seeing them work together and do things is crazy. Um, I wish the artwork was a little more dynamic because the one thing this book introduced that's crazy cyborg Moira and her crazy axe that's now just cutting through reality and murdering people like something out of Rick and Morty is uh is pretty interesting. And so I just wish we had better visualization of that, but I'm kind of interested in how dead X-Men and what this title, cause this is a very heavy title. So like, where does this all come in to play and, and where does this converge? Um, I was much more, I was much more high up on resurrection of Magneto. I said that the first one was a little thick for me. I mean, it was such a kind of weird entry point to be like a complete storm, like <laughs> referendum on storm which I feel like, uh, who's our who's our writer here? Uh, but, uh, Al Ewing, yeah. I've been saying Al Ewing has like a very serious storm complex, followed only very closely by his whole Magneto complex, which is kind of like, it, it's been pretty nuts. But um, I liked this issue because the first issue did the same thing for Storm that this issue did, but I liked the kind of the focus and I felt like this, well, Storm is somebody nobody can really get a handle around. And so there's just all these bits and pieces that writers keep trying to grab at and form into something. Magneto feels like Al Ewing has a very good view of Magneto and the complexity of his character. And this was a much more focused story and kind of self-contained story. And everything from the implication of the list of names of the walls and all the levels that that hits to how he measures it to how we get to the end of this issue and how Storm kind of transforms that and brings back Magneto, I thought was really, really, really well done. Like, this is up there with some of the best of why I like X-Men Red and that whole, the death of Magneto, like that whole thing was so badass. And so like, he loves his character and he really understands the complexity of who Magneto is. And, and this issue is like a really good referendum. If somebody was like, who is Magneto? I'd be like, it's going to be a little weird, but read this, like, this kind of explains it. And gotcha. there's just so many callbacks to things you like forgot about. Like, yeah, how many people Magneto's murdered or inspired the murder of, you know, and then by the end, you know, the alternative to that and just why he has motivations to always come back and even his bond with Charles and, and all of, and all of that. And so 
yeah, complex character handled in a very good kind of exploratory story. So now this is actually a resurrection of Magneto story, and, and, I, <laughs> and I really like it. Um, Jamie, I know uh, you had some. You were dipping into the uh, the world of fantasy and, and sci fi <laughs> with with some books this week. I know you read uh, the Savage Sword of Conan uh, and Star Trek Defiant. What did you kind of come away with those and, and kind of catch people up on those? Yeah, so uh, Savage Sword of Conan is the second book that Titan is launching since getting the Conan license after Marvel let it go after their second run with it. Uh, They've been doing a really great job in their main Conan the Barbarian book, which is funny because it has the same writer that wrote a lot of the Marvel books, but the editorial direction is just so different that it feels almost entirely different. It's really soaking up that like pulpy Bronze Age uh, feel that made Conan popular in the first place instead of trying to shove him into Moon Knight crossovers for some reason. Um, so now Savage Soul Sword of Conan is cool because if you remember old like 70s comics, Savage Sword of Conan was the big black and white magazine that they put out where they could do stuff that they couldn't get away with under the comics code uh, because it was a magazine and not a comic. Uh, so it's the big magazine format. It's black and white and it has multiple stories and uh, there's a short prose story in there. Um, I've read the Conan story. It's very, very cool. Um, there's a Solomon Kane story in here as well, because they're trying to mix in some of the other Robert E. Howard uh, characters. I haven't gone around reading that one yet, um, but it looks cool. It's drawn by Patrick Zercher. Uh, and then there's a short Conan story by Jim Zub, uh, who, again, doing a great job on the uh, other Conan book. And it's just a very cool, like, complete oversized package of a thing that feels really substantial compared to a lot of the flimsier, you know, monthly releases. It's like 80 some odd pages. So it's not just like, you know, a short Solomon Kane story and a short like Conan story. These are full length things you're getting and they're they're very cool to just like kick back and read if you're into that pulpy stuff this is very pulpy uh so be prepared for that this is not a like rated g conan or anything uh so if you're into that kind of thing uh this is a very good serving of that if you're if you want a slightly more tempered version go check out the conan the barbarian series which is also very good um so yeah then the other book i wanted to talk about was uh star trek defiant Uh, If you haven't been keeping up with IDW Star Trek books, there's the flagship Star Trek book, which has kind of like the Avengers of Star Trek pulled from the various TV series. Uh, And then this is like the uh, the the underside of that. It's it's like the Thunderbolts or Suicide Squad version of Star Trek, where Worf is leading a team of less reputable uh, Star Trek characters. uh, And they are doing essentially off the books missions for Starfleet. They had gone rogue with good intentions. And then when they tried to come back into the fold, Starfleet was like, yeah, maybe we want you to do some other things that we can deny we had anything to do with later. Um, And as the book has gone on, nobody is happy with that situation. Nobody on the Defiant crew. Uh, And what's cool about this, this issue starts a brand new arc. uh, And there are two things that are particularly cool about it. One is that, Uh, It is picking up a like abandoned storyline from the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is that a bunch of parasites had infiltrated Starfleet Command and took them over. 
and had to be sussed out by Picard. Uh, but at the end of that, that episode, they send out a beacon implying that there's going to be more coming. Uh, and they never picked up on that. Like Star Trek, the card was going to pick up on it. And then they realized for practical reasons, they could not. So instead we get Star Trek Defiant dealing with that storyline and theoretically finally bringing some resolution to it, which is a very cool thing for longtime Star Trek fans. And then if, if none of that means anything to you, it's still like they're on a space station with this parasite alien outbreak happening. So it's kind of like Star Trek by way of alien, which is not a flavor of Star Trek. You get a whole lot. Uh, so it's very cool. This whole series is written by Christopher Cantwell. Uh, Angel Unzueta is coming back for this. He does a very cool, like dark, shadowy sci-fi uh, vibe. Uh, the whole series has been great, uh, but like if you wanted to get a sample, this would be a good issue to uh, jump onto uh, and get a sense of what it's all about. Uh, the whole Star Trek line right now over at IDW has been uh, pretty excellent, uh, but if you want something a little different than typical Star Trek, this would be the series to check out. Ow, you just sold the hell out of that for me. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be checking that out. Um, I know we got to run, so I am going to uh, close us out on uh, one more other uh, big universe. Uh, we've talked a lot about the uh, Energon universe over at Skybound and the Transformers and G.I. Joe uh, of it all. If you're not following Duke, well, I know we, we kind of spotlighted Cobra Commander uh, not crazy long ago, but Duke is kind of number one, dealing with directly the kind of impact the Transformers made on Earth as soon as they got there, because Duke is tied to that uh, from that first issue of kind of he he's already lost people to them, Starscream and all that stuff. So that is directly dealt with in the Duke series, but also we're getting major GI Joe characters. It's on the cover. So it's not a spoiler. The Baroness uh, is here and the way they work her into the book and the, you know, can, can you trust her? Obviously you can't, but like, you know, we have a common goal type thing Duke kind of being, you know, railroaded right now, you know, by his own government and things like all that stuff, that intrigue and, and spy craft stuff mixed in with kind of the traditional GI Joe-ness is, is great. I think they're doing a great job so far of making a character that I've never been like a big like Duke fan, even in the broad G.I. Joe franchise scheme of things. Uh, and this is making me a, a fan. And so I think that's that's a huge credit to it. So definitely check that out. It's only on issue three. So you can, you know, start just a couple issues back and jump on board. Uh, and I think you should. So that will do it for the pool list. Uh, we covered a lot of comics. We will cover more, of course, next week. Uh, we love to hear your feedback uh, until next week. Enjoy comics. And thank you to Kofi and Jamie for jumping in on this with me. We will see you soon. Peace. Peace.